I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I'm going to talk about the 2011 film Attack the Block. Okay, so it's Pride Month, and it's where weeks away from um, Juneteenth, which is Black Folks Independence Day, which, you know, I've, I've for the since the show um, began, I've done an episode on Juneteenth every year, and I'm going to do something a little bit different this year. Um, and there is, hopefully, by next week, or by the time I finish editing this episode, I'll be able to add a little note. But if not, um, next next episode, hopefully, I'll have some information about a virtual event that you would be, you can be, you can join. Um, it's a virtual trivia night that um, the Baltimore uh, Metropolitan Council uh, (MPHC) is putting on, and and I'll be there and all of that stuff. And you are more than welcome to participate. It'll be fun. Um, and yeah, so hopefully I'll be able to share the the link to that event in my show notes, but. Because it's a virtual opportunity to celebrate Juneteenth. Um, And it's the day before the Poor People's March, which is um, something that the council is going to participate in and um, something you should look up, especially if you're in the United States. But if you generally just want to know, because, again, we have this. um, There are several people from the UK that listen to the show. So it's just something The Poor People's March, this iteration of the Poor People's March is nothing more than in the spirit of Dr. King and the work that he was doing at the end of his life to draw attention to the fact that racism is a killer, but so is social economic disparity. And poor people are dying every day because they're poor. Um, And we've seen this in a lot of different ways, especially across the globe um, when it comes to COVID and how, you know, if you have the luxury of working from home, Um, If you're not a doctor or anything like that, I'm not talking about that, but like if you're a healthcare worker, if you're a supermarket worker, if you are uh, um, anyone who has to has to work because the the safety of the city depends on them working, um, you are an emergency worker, as everyone knows, you're an essential worker and and disproportionately poor people and poor people of color are, are working in those those fields and we all know at this point, um, we've heard about it over months now that, you know, not enough resources, not enough PPEs and all of that for them to go around. And, and you, you heard, I'm sure if you're from the United States, you heard about, um, um, sanitary workers, sanitation workers, um, striking in certain cities because the, of the uh, working conditions under which they were, they were, uh, the working conditions. Um, Again, not having enough resources and things like that to be able to keep themselves, to take care of themselves. Um, picking, coming in contact with folks' trash, which, you know, at the time, and, and even t- until this day, we don't know how long um, coronavirus lives on surfaces. Things are changing all the time. We just don't know. And we still need a vaccine. So anyway, um, anyway, the Poor People's March is just drawing attention to all of the, all of that. Um, and more, honestly, and, and again, in the spirit of Dr. King and the work that he and, and the SCLC and everybody who was who was allied with them were doing at his at the time of his death. So anyway, I'll have information about all of that. You can actually look up the Poor People's March right now because it's virtual. It was supposed to be um, on, it was supposed to be the Poor People's March on Washington on in June 20th. Um, it was Saturday, June 20th. And we were supposed to be down in the Capitol, but 
that's not happening. It's not safe for that to happen. Even though there are protests happening right now, they moved it virtual and I understand why the, the, um, it's not safe, man. And even though we're protesting now, it's like I'm seeing a lot of people out protesting without masks on and it's frustrating because COVID is still very real and it's still disproportionately impacting people of color, specifically African diaspora folks across the globe disproportionately for a number of different reasons, including access to care, right? So, or lack of access to care. So anyway, be safe, y'all. Be safe out there. Um, Because certainly there are still... Uh, my church, my church, pa- my pastor, I don't know if, if many members of my church, but my pastor is out as I'm recording um, downtown marching with folks, um, other pastors um, bringing attention to what's going on here in Baltimore. And again, I've talked about that. I'm not going to beat on that. But anyway, oof, wrong terminology. You know what I meant. Um, anyway, so but I know he's out there being safe because he talks about it. And so I appreciate the steps that he's taking. Um, and everybody that went with him, I'm just nervous for all of my people who are going out. I know that they're being safe. I'm wondering if the people that they're with are being safe too. But anyway, so we're talking about marching and, and all of that. And um, you might be wondering, why am I about to talk about um, Attack on the Block today? And it's because John Boyega. Um, I thought he, I've always thought he was cute, but I never thought he was, there was like much to him. You know what I mean? Um, didn't have an, a, a reason to pay attention to him. But I did hear that his very first film, he was like fresh off, like hadn't acted before. Um, and I'd heard an interview with him about talking about all of, you know, how he acted and, and things like that. Um, how he responded to when he got the role that he wasn't expecting to get it and that he was super broke, like uber broke at the time. And that this was a godsend for him and and... Generally speaking, just learning more about him over the past couple of years or so, uh, you know, I thought he was all right, but, you know, not really acting in things that I really wanted to watch for real. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. That's not my that's not my thing. I enjoy sci fi, but not that type of sci fi because representation like come on. Anyway, I'm not going to get on my soapbox. I'm going to keep it light. Um, And so. So, yeah. So he just hasn't been in a ton of films. Um, that I've been into. Um, and so, but I did hear about Attack the Block and I was just like, okay, well maybe I'll watch it at some point. And then flash forward, I'm seeing him all over social media talking about, I may not ever work again, but I want to bring attention to blah, blah, blah. And he's out there and he's out there in the street. And I'm like, okay, sir. And, um, and then, uh, Jordan Peele comes up and he's like, we got you, bruh. It's not a problem. He, he, I guess he responds to John Rega's post about... I guess he posted a video that that somebody had captured of him being very passionate on the street talking about whatever he was talking about at that moment. It was talking about Black Lives Matter, but specifically as it relates to what was going on in London. I believe it was London. Maybe it was the UK abroad, like at large. That he was trying to bring attention to certain things like, yes, that he was out there in solidarity with the marchers in the United States as it relates to um, marching against police brutality. as evidenced by the murder of uh, George Floyd um, and Breonna Taylor and and um, the two trans folks whose name I've forgotten um, at this point, but one of which was 
Oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot his name anyway. Um, but anyway, police brutality, people who've recently lost their lives at the hands of police brutality or who are just generally being victimized for no apparent reason except for bigotry and hatred and things like that. So anyway, but he was out there, as I understand it, he was out talking about how hatred, bigotry and um, anti-blackness, anti-immigrant sentiments play out in the UK. Um, specifically in London. I think it's in London. Anyway, um, but he was very passionate. He was talking and it was exciting. And then black Twitter went up in arms about him saying, you know, big up at him and things like that. And then everybody was like, be careful because he might be a pig or, you know, he might be not a pig, but he might be a jerk or whatever. He might, you know, don't don't stand too hard for your for your favorites because they will disappoint you. Um, Anyway, so I was just like, well, whatever, let me, let me start. Let me, let me just, you know, take a look at this attack the block because people were talking about attack the block and they were, I guess they were in their own way. They were likening his character in attack the block to how he was behaving and being very brave, um, in the streets, um, during the protest. And I was like, okay, y'all are probably doing what you normally do, which is reaching for the stars on your comparisons. But let me just take a watch. Um, and I actually wasn't disappointed. Like it's a 2011 film. So there are tropes there that what are you going to do? But at the same time, um, it's still an intriguing, like I was, I, I lived the fantasy. I was into the fantasy and the, the end, or at least the reason for all of the foolishness that happened in the film, I thought was pretty interesting. I thought it was pretty interesting because it was so simple. And sometimes the simplest plot devices make for the best stories, honestly, or make for the simplest truth, the simplest core of a plot makes for the best story. And I think this was, this was very inventive. It was very interesting. I love the fact that most of the actors, especially the teenagers that were in this film were actual teenagers. Now I understand that like teenagers and early 20 somethings, right? I understand that there are certain lines that you have to make sure that you're not crossing and there's certain uh, allowances that you're taking to make sure you're supporting your actors, especially the younger they are. But there's something authentic about pulling someone from the street who's actually a teenager who has a desire to act, but is not so far removed from being a regular teenager that they can't then put out a performance as if this were real, right? Sometimes like 13 reasons why, like, listen, okay. So I was watching 13 reasons why the latest episode of 13 reasons why with my niece and honey, let me tell you that show bores the tears out of me, baby. It is so dramatic (coughs) and so not anything I'd want to watch. And it's so funny because my niece was like, well, you know, this thing is so dramatic and it's so over the top, but she was like into it. And oh my gosh, she like watched it back to back. And I was just like, oh, honey, maybe I'm too old at this point because my niece is 13. She's the one that just turned 13. She's a teenager now. And it blows my mind because I remember her as a baby, a cute little chocolatey brown baby with little toes that you just wanted to nibble on. And now she's like into lashes and nails. Her nails were bomb. Okay. Her nails were bomb. And I'm like, Oh, she's such a teenager and I love it. She's not sass mouth, but she's smart. And she hasn't, she's, 
she's so anyway I'm not talking about why am I talking about my because I love my niece anyway um moving on she's great um anyway but so my point in bringing up 13 reasons why and then I just got carried away on my awesome niece but the third the reason why I brought up 13 reasons why is because Number one is so dramatic and over the top. Number two, a lot of the actors are like 20 something. One of those actors is like 30 something, like almost 30 or 30. Right. So I'm like, and, and he look it in the face, too. But, you know, you can keep playing the game if you want. Anyway, I'm not going out nobody, but I'm just saying one of y'all are in your 30s anyway. Um, and it's just not believable and it's not real, but attack the block. I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, number one, y'all are teenagers. Number two, you talk like teenagers. Number three, you're responding like scared teenagers who, when they are frightened, revert to being kind of childlike. And um, even though I'll get into the meat of the movie um, later, but like John Boyega's character is like a teenager who's been empowered to be strong, right? But nevertheless, a teenager. And I believed it. I believed that listen the way they were their chests were puffed up at certain points because the the main folks are, are boys the but it's a group of teenagers they call themselves a gang they're just boys up to no good um on the block and anyway the way they're puffed up is like teenage like the way that they joke is teenage like like for real not put on at any point and i just appreciate this film for all of its flaws and it only has a few flaws that i just think are about its time, even though 2011 doesn't seem like it was that far away. It's far away enough for us to have some of these tropes that I'm just like, you put all of that in the film. But anyway, nevertheless, nevertheless, it was very enjoyable. Um, And another reason why I will pay more attention to John Boyega's acting, because if this was his first acting experience, if that was his first acting experience, the performance he turned out Mwah, chef's kiss I appreciated it for what it was for of the time and then to know that he would go on to do other things and be in Star Wars and all of that stuff and be in other films I just mm-hmm, I, I'm I appre- I'm going to pay more attention to his acting work and hope that he doesn't show us that he is a complete moron or a dum-dum and do something that's homophobic or I don't think so I've seen him just be silly and stupid. I've never heard him be homophobic or, or anti, well, not anti-black, but uh, not uh, chauvinist or anything like that. So I'm hoping I never see that. God spare me from seeing that. But um, anyway, I hope he's just real and he's just genuine. Um, and anyway, regardless of that, this acting performance I thought was interesting and I cannot wait to talk about it. But first, um, speaking of the block, I was on Twitter and it's Pride Month. Was I on Twitter or was I on YouTube? Can't call it. Maybe I was on YouTube first. And I was, I guess I watch a lot of Vice shows. And even though I don't have the network anymore, I used to have Vice TV. And I just, I guess when it came off, I haven't actually, the hubby and I actually haven't had Vice TV for a minute. So anytime we watch Vice, it's on, it's on YouTube. But I remember when I used to have the Vice channel, they would have these, they would turn out these interesting TV shows. Maybe they were limited series. Maybe they just, you know, was just a one-time thing or maybe they were long-term. But they would pop up these, they would pop out these shows that I thought the content was so original that I was just like, this. I'm, I'm witnessing something new here. I'm witnessing something different. 
And so I remember at first being impressed by this this show that was essentially like comedians doing stand up in virtually somebody's house, like at a house party. And were the comedians always good? No. But was the concept awesome? Yes. Um, was the, f- the vibe that it was giving cool and something you wanted to be a part of? Absolutely. And I had never seen anything like that before. I'd never seen a comedian do his co- do their comedy bit in like a house with a bunch of people just sitting on the floor sitting in in like uh recliners and things like that and and there was something something so kind of raw and un um not unprofessional but like not curated even though of course it was a tv show so aspects of it were curated but because it was so rough looking i was really intrigued by it even if i wasn't always entertained by the 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 comedians and so I've seen Governor's Ball and things like that, or at least I'd seen what Vice was showing of Governor's Ball. And I'd seen some live, I'd watched it live where I'd seen some commentators just be really weird and and, and kind of douchey. And anyway, I think I liked the fact that I just, there was a rawness about the, 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 um, the network. And you never knew what you were going to get, but you definitely knew you were going to get something original out uh, or you were going to get some original content from the, the, from the network. And so I don't know if we had lost the channel. I don't know if we had lost the channel before this show came out or right as it was coming out. Um, but maybe, it, no, it was probably many years before. Uh, anyway, the show is called My Block. And it is, no, no, my house, my house. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I only know about the ball scene because of Paris is burning and some of the documentaries that have been on YouTube and what I hear on, you know, queer radio, uh, or not radio, but a podcast and things like that. That's all I know. So, um, that's the only way I know about the ballroom scene, especially in New York, where I, I believe that's where the ballroom scene kind of started, or at least that was where it became super popular. Anyway, so my house is all about houses that perform at the ballroom scene and houses are a group of folks who are create essentially a family, a network of people who are protecting each other. They, they dance with each other. They compete at these balls with each other, but then they also make sure that each other is straight. So like they have housing, they have clothes and food. They also look out for them for opportunities to make sure that if they want to excel in a particular way that they give them those opportunities. And that is true. That is a true depiction as, as, as told in Pose. Um, also, it's a true depiction as, it, as told in, in Paris is Burning. Again, my only references, so it's very limited. Um, and certainly if you have more information, obviously you can set me straight on the other benefits of a, of a house, but that's what a house is or the other definitions of a house, but it's just a group of people who've chosen to be family to each other. And in being family, they look out for each other. And one of the ways that they commune with one another and then celebrate their family-ness is to compete at these things that are called balls, which are just grand gatherings. They're gatherings and get-togethers that are competitions. And some of them can be fierce. Some of them can just be about the experience, but the through line between all of them is that these are queer people coming together and being safe. And what we know, or at least what I know from 
the two uh, sources of information that I just shared with you is that the ballroom scene largely was perfected or at least created by black and Latino, black and Latinx, um, uh, queer folks who were not accepted in white gay culture and white queer culture at the time. And so they created their own thing. And now I, what I understand is that includes, it includes, it's, it's a totally inclusive environment, but nevertheless, it's still very much black and brown um, folk who are really kind of like running things in black and brown houses. Anyway, so I just, I've been watching that and I think it's interesting in that I think that is a good way that I have, mm, where the heck was I going with that? Oh, I was going somewhere with that. The, uh, you should watch it is, I guess, my ultimate point. That's a, it's a good show. It's on uh, net, uh, not Netflix, uh, YouTube right now on Vice's channel. Vice. It's not Vice News. It's the other one. Vice Lifestyle. Vice Lifestyle has all the episodes from my house. And it's very, very interesting, very entertaining, but more so it's just informative. Um and it's like a documentary for me. And I, you know, I love documentaries. I say that all the time. Anyway, um, so yeah, watch My Block when you get a chance. Or My House. I keep saying My Block. My House. Watch My House Vice Lifestyle on YouTube when you get a chance. It's really great. Anyway, now to Attack the Block. Um, so in the next segment, I'm going to talk all about Attack the Block. I'll start with the particulars, then I'll go into the plot, obviously. Um, and then I'll talk about the movie. I will briefly talk about the things that annoyed me, but only briefly because I overall genuinely enjoyed this film. Okay. So in the next segment, all about Attack the Block. Okay, so I want to jump in here real quick and give you an update. Um, as you know, I record this episode. Oftentimes when I record episodes, they are almost a week in advance because I've been thinking about it and I've spent some time two weeks in advance in many cases just doing research on it. So um, so anyway, when I recorded this, it was it was um, after, after Primary Tuesday, but not... Um, when I began to record this, no, no, when I finished it, even it was after Super Tuesday, it was after our primary Tuesday, but not um, the, the a lot of the races hadn't been decided and they hadn't been decided for two reasons. Number one, um, there was a ballot issue and I talk about this in the episode. So the because the races, because there was that ballot issue with um, irregularities on the ballot or I guess just a misprint, basically, um, some ballots from a particular district, like all of the ballots that I think it was the first district, Baltimore City's first district um, received, had an error on it. And it was like a small error, like an error in date or something like that. And anyway, when those ballots were returned, um, the computer that the city was using to count ballots uh, were programmed for the update, the updated ballots, like the ballots that my district received. And so the computer automatically rejected those ballots. Um, even though it wasn't like anything major, it was literally just because the date was wrong because the date was wrong because we initially have our primary sooner, but because of COVID-19, we had to push our, we had to push the primary back. We had to push it to, um, June. 
And so anyway, so we had to deal with that snafu, but that's largely um, been um, overcoming because they literally had to manually count all of those ballots from that district. And then also the other reason why a lot of the um, races hadn't been finalized is because they were hotly contested. And so I talked about last week, I talked about how many um, candidates were running for the Democratic nod uh, nomination um, for mayor in the city. And I, when I last left you, um, and I think I say in this episode that Brandon and Sheila were going neck and neck and Mary Miller was nowhere to be found, um, or she was a distant third. And that's kind of how it landed. Um, it, it is how it landed. Although at the time Sheila was leading, um, but that was only with 130 something precincts reporting out of over 300 precincts in Baltimore City having had having reported or having not reported at the moment. But all of those have been counted. Um, and I should have known better because Brandon Scott's people, after I began recording this um, episode, Brandon Scott's people sent a like released a tweet, I guess, and, and on social media and things like that, and then released a statement saying, you know, we're pretty confident that uh, we're gonna stay in this. We're pretty confident that um, at the end of the tallying, that um, uh, Brandon Scott will take the lead and will earn the nomination. And sure enough, he did that. He did exactly that. And it came down to the why, baby. But he took the. Um, at the end of this thing, when all of the um, ballots were counted, he took um, the lead over uh, Sheila Dixon by almost 3,000 votes. I think it was two, two and a half thousand votes, uh, two, two, two and a half thousand, you know what I mean, um, votes, almost 3,000. And, um, and so now he has the nomination. And so why is that important? Um, or the Democratic nomination? Obviously, there's a Republican, um, there was a Republicans on the ballot, um, and there was a Republican winner who won the nomination. But why is it important? Why are people so excited about Brandon Scott and the Democratic ticket? Well, the reason is Baltimore City is, should be no surprise. Baltimore City is a very Democratic city. Um, Central Maryland is very Democratic for the most part. Um, and as a result, Baltimore is so Democratic that there has not been, regardless of race, there has not been a Republican mayor of Baltimore City since 1967. I'll say that again. There has not been a Republican mayor of Baltimore City since 1967. That was the very last. That was the very last uh, year where a Republican um, mayor was elected, and his name was uh, Mayor McClendon. What's his name? McClendon, girl. Anyway, I'm, I just Googled it anyway. City College uh, alum, and if you're from Baltimore or if you know anything about Baltimore, City College is like one of the premier schools, high schools that you can attend, period. It is premier. And anyway, so I'm sure that that was part of the reason why he was um, elected to his second term, but he was serving his second term. Um, but yeah, 1967 was the very last year that Baltimore ever had a Republican mayor. So the likelihood now of, and, and to be honest with you, not even just that we tend to vote Democratic, but the enthusiasm that's behind Brandon Scott, the enthusiasm, he's 36 years old, right? Um, so he's for politics, he's relatively young. Although, I mean, he's millennial. I'm a millennial. We're the same age. Um, 
But in politics, you know how it goes. Oh, he's super young, you know, in, in politics age. And so his new thoughts, he's from Baltimore, um, served in office as a council person, um, served in his district. And certainly, of course, he accepted the nomination um, for the Democratic ticket, uh, Democratic nomination in um, Park Heights where he serves. Um, and so anyway, I thought it was just a historical moment. Um, he actually did this the yesterday, excuse me, which is the day before the release day. Today, you're listening to this on the 11th, um, or this episode is coming out on the 11th. Well, he accepted on the 10th. Anyway, so I just wanted to give that little update because it took a minute. And I'm just like, it took a minute for real? So like, we were counting chads and paper ballots before, right? So like, was it always this? Did we always have to wait this long? Like, I understand that there's a desire to move away from technology because it can be easily hacked, but like, baby, come on, this was not great. But nevertheless, I'm glad that it was, oh, it was afforded to us because there were many states, including Georgia, who they didn't do paper ballots because apparently, and somebody who's a political science major or somebody who's in politics who's listening to the show, maybe you know better, but I still don't really get the argument why Republicans are against um, mail-in ballots, except that I guess whatever research they did showed that black folks and people of color tend to use those ballots, those absentee ballots. Um, and then early voting, black folks, if you limit that, then you limit the amount of black folks who can come out. I, I But it, where's the science on that? Um, I don't, shoot, maybe I'm, I'm being silly and the science is right there. It's just doesn't that hurt everybody when you're limiting? Like, doesn't it just not hurt? I guess that's what I want to say. Doesn't it hurt more than just your opponents? Like, doesn't it? But anyway. Um, all right. So that's that's it for now. I, won't, I don't want to take away from this episode. I really enjoyed watching this film. And I also enjoyed talking about it because I like sci-fi. And I like B-movies, which this kind of is. All right. Now to the show. Okay, let's get to it. Attack the Block is a 2011 film. Actually, it was a film that was released on July 29th, 2011 in the U.S. And it was directed by Joe Cornish, who who's an English director who's directed a bunch of interesting things. Um, and it um, the budget was $8 million GBP, so Great Britain pounds. So pounds, I think that's what that stands for. So the budget was eight million pounds, but the box office generated four point one million pounds, which is not a it's not you didn't even break even. Um, so the critical score um, is six point six um, out of ten from IMDb, ninety uh, percent fresh from Rotten Tomatoes, seventy five percent. Uh, on Metacritic, and 91% of Google users enjoyed the film. Um, a synopsis reads that... Hold on, let me get to it. My bad. Um, the film centers on a teenage street gang who have to defend themselves from predatory alien invaders, alien invaders on a council estate or a hood. Um, basically, it's like a... a projects 
council estate is the U.S. version of, or the council estate is the U.K. version of um, projects. So pull, fill in the blank projects. So Marcy, Marcy Project, everybody knows Jay-Z grew up in Marcy Project. Projects, it's exactly as if Marcy Projects was actually called Marcy Council Estates. Anyway, so alien invaders on a council estate in South London on Guy Fox night, which I didn't think I understood that. Anyway, um, yeah, so it was uh, released in the UK on May 11th, but obviously it was released in the United States on the 20, June, uh, July 29th in the same year. And yeah, but it was praised for, it received critical, but the Cornish, the director, received critical play praise for his direction um, and John Boyega um, turned out a wonderful performance. So everybody loved John Boyega's performance. Um, anyway, so let me go to the cast. So John Boyega plays um, Moses, who is the, the, the main character. He is the, the main bad guy. He's supposedly also the leader of this gang. Um, and it's uh, members of his gang include... Um, I don't know why it's taking so long to load. Okay. Members of his gang include, um, Pest, who's played by Alex Eshmael, um, Biggs, who's played by Simon Howard, uh, Jerome, who's played by Leon Jones. Um, and I felt like there was one other, oh, and Dennis, who's played by Franz Drama, Drama, Drama. I think that's has how you say it. Anyway, other people include, um, Sam, who's played by Jodie Whittaker, Bruis, who's played by Luke Treadaway, and Ron, who's played by Nick Frost. Also, Hi-Hats, who's played by, uh, Jumaine Hunter, and Beats, who's played by Jermaine Smith. Um, there's also a little cameo or a little bit in there uh, from a, the character's name is Dimples, who's played by Paige Cakey, and Gloria, who's played by Natasha Jonas. So let me, so the gang though, the, the gang is John Boyega, or is it, well, I'll just give their screen name. So the gang, the teenage gang includes Moses, Pest, Dennis, um, Biggs, and Jerome. And they're going around causing havoc around their South London council estate, right? And so the, the movie opens and apparently it's Guy Fox night, which I don't know a ton about Guy Fox other than he was someone who was against, from what little I know, he was someone who was against the ruling class um, in Britain, in the United Kingdom. And so he wanted to blow up parliament and he almost succeeded, except his plans got thwarted. And that's what I know about Guy Fox. And so apparently people celebrate his rugged spirit to try to topple the system and his anarchist spirit. And, cause I, and another reason why I know that is because I watched V for Vendetta and that was the basis of that movie. And then also everybody in their mama, including Anonymous, uses Guy Fox masks uh, because apparently he's the patron saint of anarchists. Anyway, um, so Google him. If you don't know who Guy Fox is, Google him. I don't know a whole lot, but I'm sure that's a decent attempt at explaining who he was. I'm sure there's a lot more to him than what I explained. Moving on. Anyway, so Guy Fox night. 
And they're out and about and ruckus. And so the opening scene is essentially Sam, again, played by Jodie Whittaker, who's walking around, this white woman walking around at night and there are fireworks going off all over the place and it's loud. And the scenery that she's walking in, it doesn't sound, look like a nice neighborhood. And so anyway, she's walking and she's on the phone and right off the bat, I'm like, girl, you are the dumbest person I know. Um, who in the world, woman, walks alone at night on a cell phone. So you just telling somebody who means you know well, come on up behind me, come on and take me. I am not paying attention. Now I know it, it, that's harsh, right? Because you should be able to walk whenever you should, you wanna walk without fear of being taken advantage of or victimized, right? But like, because we live in a society where there are men who are walk, running around like wolves, let's take some precaution, girl. Let's take some precaution. But anyway, so she's, and, and again, that's in the writing too, let's be real. Cause I don't know, I don't know a woman in the world. I promise you. I don't know a woman in the world that will walk alone at night and be on the phone not paying attention to her surroundings like that's that doesn't happen this is fantasy anyway so so she's walking around she's she's i think she's talking to her mother and anyway she's walking and she's talking and fireworks are going off she's reassuring the person on the other end of the line again who i think is her mother that she's gonna be all right and whatever and so she gets off the phone and i think she gets off the phone because she hears and sees teenagers all hooded up walking a couple of them walking behind her and some kind of blocking her path to block up. And so she's like, oh, okay. So some things are about to go down. So she begins to take evasive measures. And before you know it, the teenagers that were behind her, well, the teenagers that were behind her kind of stand and stare. And then she tries to turn around, turn around to get away from them. And then the other teenagers that were a block away, now they're closer and now they're blocking her way. And so of course, you know what's about to happen. She gets mugged and she gets mugged by Moses, Pest, Dennis, uh, Biggs and Jerome, right? They're all, they're taking everything, all of her valuables. So they take her wedding ring or her engagement ring. They take her phone, they take her wallet and they're going into it. And of course, John Boyega is the main one because apparently he's like the leader. And so they're, they're robbed, they rob her and, and in the middle of robbing her, there was something that some sort of ballistic, fireworks are ballistics, right? So some sort of flam, something that is in flames falls and falls onto the roof of this silver car right next to where the mugging is taking place. Sam is being mugged by John, Pest, uh, Dennis, uh, Biggs and Jerome. And anyway, so they're startled for a second and so Sam is about to call the police, but then she's like, oh shoot, some things that are happening or holler for help and get the police. Things are happening. But instead, everybody focuses on the fact that something fell into the car and someone was like, oh, one of them was like, oh yeah, it's fireworks. And I believe it was Pest that says, no, fireworks go up and then they fall down. This just came straight down. And anyway, while everybody's talking, and certainly why Sam is in shock, she runs away and Moses goes towards the car. And Moses sees this not as an opportunity necessarily to discover what fell onto the car and rocketed toward the car and, and exploded into the, the roof of the car, but he uses it as an opportunity to say, well, shoot, 
car open now. Let me see what it's got. So he goes, he dives in to the car and begins to try to jostle the um, glove compartment open and tries to, you know, see if there's some goods in there that it can take. But while he's doing that, honey, very first jump scare, ah, an alien comes out or something that looks to be an alien with green, like like fangs that are glowing neon green. It's dark, right? And so I scream and I miss the essence of the, I think I caught the essence of the scene, but anyway, the thing is in the car and it's trying to get away from, it's trying to, it, you get the sense that it's trying to escape from um, the car because it's essentially trapped inside the car. And, and meanwhile, it's also frightened, it appears to be frightened, but excuse me, by um, John Boyega's presence, or excuse me, Moses's presence. So anyway, so in the process of both of them being startled, the alien scratches um, uh, uh, Moses's face and then it flees. It hops out of the, the car and flees into the park or a nearby park. Um, and, and Moses gets out of the car and he's furious and Everybody's just like, oh, oh, the rest of his gang's like, oh, oh, you all right, blah, blah, blah. John, uh, Moses is furious. He's like, oh, no, this won't stand. I'm going to get my lick back. Or the equivalent of him saying, I'm going to get my lick back. Whatever he said, the English version of that. Like the English hood version, I'm going to get my lick back. Anyway, so he says that. And then he takes off in the direction of where the alien um, ran. And the rest of his crew follow him. And so they're running, running, running. And no, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, no, that yeah. Did they go get items? No, they didn't get items. They literally just took off because they already had some things. They took off in the direction of following John. Took off in the direction of um, where the alien went. And anyway, they they tracked the alien to this little shed. And. Essentially, that you know, John goes or Moses goes in there and gives the thing the business and leaves out, and um, the thing is dead. And not only is the thing dead, but now he's decided that he wants to cart the thing around. So he pulls the thing out, and it's gray looking and ugly, and it's got really big teeth and really big head and very long, gangly legs and, and arms, and at the tip of its Hands are very long nails, right? And so somehow or another, they fashion they fashion a harness that essentially allows Moses to wear the alien as a backpack. And they go on about their business, saying it's an alien, and they're big up in um, Moses for being super cool and all of that stuff. And so they head back to their building on the council estate. So they head back and they're all hyped up and stuff. And apparently they're going to the only safe place in the area where they could try to get some money off this thing. And they head straight up to, um, they head straight up to this place. They, they head to the building where they're going to go straight up to see this drug dealer, um, see Ron, yeah, they're going to go see Ron and try to, who sells a bunch of weed, essentially, and probably other illicit drugs, which we, we find out they do sell other illicit drugs. But initially, John has a hothouse for, for growing weed. 
Anyway, so they're going to, Ron, I said John, but it's Ron. So they're going to go see Ron to see if they can sell the, um, the alien for money in exchange for money. So on the way there, they run into, we meet this white guy whose name is Brewis. And anyway, he's clearly looks out of place. He's in this, uh, um, building, this tenement building. Um, and we learn very quick, quickly that he's lied to his parent, his, his father, at least he's taken his father's car, said he was going to the, to the movies, but in fact, he's going, he's in this council flat and you don't, you council building and you don't know why he's there just yet. And so he's waiting for the elevator and then, um, Moses and his crew come up behind him. And again, Moses has the alien. He's wearing the thing like a daggone backpack. Anyway, so, so they come up and they start to make, uh, old dude, ner- Brewis nervous. And so anyway, small talk, small talk. Then they get into the elevator and they go straight to the top, which surprise, surprise, which is where Brewis is going. And they come to find out they're going to Ron's apartment, which Ron is a weed grower. And anyway, so, so Brewis goes and does his business with, uh, Ron and, Moses and his crew sit in Ron's living room and they're discussing the, the rest of Moses's crew sits in the living room while Moses goes and discusses and discusses, um, trying to sell, uh, the alien, um, with Ron and Ron's like, well, that's not a decision I can make. Ron tries to describe what the thing is, trying to decipher what the thing is. He doesn't know what it is, but he does know it's an alien and he doesn't know that he can trade it for money. So he says, well, why don't you talk to the big man, hi-hats, and uh, in the hothouse. And so Moses goes to the hothouse to see uh, hi-hats and beats. And anyway, when we, in this scene, the most terrible rap song I think I've ever heard is playing. And hi-hats is rapping to a, uh, number one, a terrible beat. And number two, the flow is terrible. Talking about anytime you got to do, you have to use, you have to resort to mouth noises. Anytime you resort to that baby, you've already lost and you should probably give it up. Um, anyway, so they do all that. They do that, all that. They have that terrible song playing. And then anyway, Moses is, shows, um, hi, hat the alien. And he's like, so what's up? You, you, you trying to exchange this, this alien for some money or what? And the hi-hat is like, nah, I don't have any, any use for this, but you are a drug dealer. I've seen you stick and move in the, in the, in the, in the place. And I want you to sell stuff for me. So he gives him what I believe to be like some sort of illicit drug. I don't know if it's Coke or heroin or whatever, but he gives it to him in like little rolled up pieces of paper inside what looks to be a cigarette carton. And he's like, go sell this for me. I got big things for you. You work for me now. So basically, um, he's like, I, he essentially upgraded him saying that I'm going to make you a really great drug dealer, um, in the community. I will protect you because I'm a really big drug dealer. I'm a big time. So we can work together. So that happens. And so, and he, walks away. He does not have the alien anymore. He leaves the alien there, um, in the hothouse, but he walks away with Coke. Um, and anyway, so he goes back, he leaves the hothouse and he goes back to the living room, Ron's living room, where he's got the rest of his crew there. 
And they decide, you know, they're going to somehow or another, they're talking, they're chit chatting and they're making fun of, uh, Brewis because Brewis is definitely a dweeb. Um, he's just a college age dweeb, but nevertheless, he's a dweeb and he's just kind of there trying to get as high as he can get, um, with Ron's stuff or the stuff that Ron is selling. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the somehow or another, I think one of the little boys, Biggs, Biggs looks out the window and he sees what appears to be a black something or other moving in the night that looks different than the thing that they killed. But nevertheless, it looks like, you know, it looks like, well, how can I explain it? I think they actually see a bunch of those things falling out of the sky, just like they saw of, they saw of um, the first one when they were robbing um, Sam. So anyway, they get it into their head that, and again, I, I really believe that they have run to their project building. And so all of them live there because when they leave Ron's apartment, they are easily able to, without leaving the building, go to their own apartments and go get what they need. And so everybody, you see everybody running to go get supplies, basically, because what they're going to do, what they've decided is that they're going to kill all of those aliens that crash landed into their council flats and pause here for just a second. I think it's very interesting. And the movie does not quite ever explain why exactly the aliens landed, crash landed in, in and around the area of their projects, but they did. And so even on Guy Fox night, no one else, including the cops are paying attention to these falling masses, burning masses falling to the ground. Like you can tell the difference between something going up in the air and burning versus something coming down burning, right? Usually fireworks, when on the time, on the, their descent, they lose because of gravity and because of the wind speed, they stop being on fire. Unless there was a terrible mishap and something that isn't, isn't a ballistic, or isn't a, 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 a incendiary device hasn't exploded. Everything that's coming back to the ground is losing, the, the fire is being extinguished from them, right? So you mean to tell me all these police officers that are out and about and anyone who's checking the waterways, anyone who's just generally speaking, any meteorologist, anybody, anybody who's watching the skies don't notice that they see a bunch of, uh, burning things coming down to the ground like and and the fire uh, the fire trucks aren't immediately dispatched to those areas that's a little unbelievable but anyway I'll leave it alone so anyway you know so the boys go and they go re-up to get all of their materials their supplies and while they're doing this they happen to run into and actually I think I skipped this but they run into this little this little duo whose names I've forgotten but they're little boys that can be no more than like nine or ten and they want to run with these teenage this teenage crowd but they're nine and ten and so we meet them oh my bad we meet them when Moses and the crew are going with the alien to back to their um their project to go and try to sell the alien to Ron. And the, the, the little preteen pair are burning things in the dumpster. 
and you know they're trying to act hard and things like that but the teenage boys aren't hearing it and and that's that's the way it is teenagers don't give preteens any play they think they're annoying they they get on their nerves or whatever and so throughout the film you see this preteen pair trying to make themselves useful but they're little kids right trying to get into some stuff trying to make a name for themselves but nevertheless they're little kids so anyway so while but getting back to Moses and the crew arming themselves for the impending battle that they're going to uh undertake with the rest of these aliens who have now crash landed into uh nearby areas in the uh council flats in the projects um we are reintroduced to the white woman who was robbed earlier by the name Sarah Sam I keep wanting to say Sarah Sam so we're reintroduced to Sam Sam is on her way back to the council to the to the projects and what I probably missed, but what everybody else who saw it probably saw was that she was going to the same building as the boys. Um, and this time she was, she was, um, she was met, she was walking by herself and she was met by this older woman, soldier white woman who asked her if she was okay. And she said, no, not really. And then the older white woman takes her to, her, uh, what you believe to be the older white woman's apartment and she's allowed to call the police and you know she's talking they're they're commiserating over the fact that these teenagers are just running reckless and nobody's there to protect um protect everyone else and you just got to stand up for yourself and you got to do what you got to do and um anyway so somehow or another yeah she calls the police and the police say uh i don't know if they come over to the old woman's place because remember now they have the the boys took everything from her they took i believe they took her apartment keys or maybe they didn't take her apartment keys but they definitely took most they took all of our identification her wallet and everything and so basically she calls the police from the old woman's house and or the old woman's apartment and um the police try to entice her to uh come out with them. We're going to try to find these boys and uh, round them up. And while she's, she, they asked her to give a description of the boys. And she, while she's doing that, she begins to give a description to the best of her knowledge. And she describes essentially everything that, that, um, Moses is wearing, you know, and it's pretty nondescript for the most part, except for his hat, um, which at the time he's wearing, well, for the duration of the movie, he's wearing a black hat with a red brim. And it's so interesting because these little boys, and this is so true, I think in real life. And I think just the naivete of teenagers who they make decisions because it's like the teenager, they're smart, but they don't have common sense. And so because he's a teenager, but he's not a hardened criminal or he's not a, he's not conniving enough he doesn't take, even though he locked eyes with Sam when they were being, when they were robbing her, even though he conversed with her and locked eyes with her, he did not think that she would be able to give a good ID and didn't even bother to change anything identifiable on him. He literally just kept everything that he had on him when they were robbing her on him as if she was never going to call the police as if he would never be able to be identified. And so anyway, so he's walking around as she's describing what 
Moses had on. And she's able to describe Moses because he spent the longest amount of time talking with her in her face, trying to be hard, being a big boy. So anyway, she describes everything that he has on, including the black hat with the red brim that throughout the movie, you recognize this dude never even bothered to take off. And I understand that they were super enthralled with trying to get these aliens and all of that stuff. But baby, you literally just committed a crime and you kept everything identifiable on you, including that hat. Come on, moving on. So she begins, she's taken, I guess they take her, the, the police decide to take her in the police van and they're going to go find these boys. They're going to go find the folks that mugged her. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the boys are now, they've gone to their different um, apartments and they've gotten everything that they've needed. And they've, they, we have a cute little moments where most of them, we hear from everyone except Moses. And they didn't explore this, but we hear from everybody except Moses, or we get a glimpse into the lives of everyone except Moses. So you've, we've got um, Pest who runs home and it turns out that his guardian is his grandmother. And he, you know, gives her some spiel that he's only going to be gone for 10 minutes. Don't worry about it. I'll be right back. And he goes and he gets some firecrackers or whatever. And he's still, uh, stealing. Yeah. And he actually, and it's interesting because he walks in with a limp and I'm like, and at the moment I'm like, why did he, why is he walking with a limp? I don't understand. Oh no, no, that's not, that's not pest. Pest is Pest steals something, but I can't remember if it was Biggs or Pest, but they walk into the house and no, 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 it was Pest. Pest walks in with a limp and I'm like, why is this dude walking with a limp? He did not hurt his leg. He walks in with a limp because he's going to his bedroom and he goes to his closet and he pulls out a bat and he puts a bat in the leg that he was favoring. You know how when somebody limps, the leg that they don't want to put a lot of pressure on, they, um they favor so that they, they're uh, not favor, but they favor, they favor the leg that, um, how can I put it? Am I, am I describing this wrong? So when you have a limp, you put more pressure on the leg that isn't hurting. So anyway, he's limping and in the leg that he was trying not to put a bunch of pressure on, he now slides down a, a aluminum bat in that pant leg and then continues the limp. In other words, he keeps up the ruse that something is wrong with his leg only to hide the fact that he put a bat in his leg uh, in there. And then we see Biggs um, go to his place and he's like, oh, I'll be only, I'll be back in, in 10 minutes. No worries. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, he pulls out, you know, he gets, he gets some like fireworkers, some big, big, nasty fireworks. Right. And then he runs back. Um, and by the way, and his dad is like, his dad is like, um, you need to take your dog out. And, and, and Biggs is like, no, I'll do it later. And he was like, I'm not asking you to take your dog out. You better take your dog with you. So he takes his dog with him. Um, Jerome, he runs in his house and he runs straight to his, his, um, all of these are apartments. I keep saying house, but you get what I mean. So, uh, Jerome runs to his apartment and he goes and he pulls out this rust, the rustiest, rustiest meat cleaver looking something or other. Maybe not a meat cleaver, but it's like a baby machete or something like that. Anyway, it's rusty looking. And he puts it down the front of his pants. And I'm thinking tetanus, baby, you finna get tetanus. You need a tetanus shot anyway. But so he sneaks out, says some lie to his parent, and then he sneaks out. And so you get this from all of them. Um, oh, and uh, France, uh, excuse me, Dennis. Um, I can't remember what he does, but he tells some lie too. And he gets knives and things like that. So anyway, you, you, all of them, 
all of them are running out and they're getting their things together. We hear from all of them except Moses. We don't get to see a little slice of his life because he essentially has every, he, they make it seem like he has everything on him. Anyway, so they're going out and they're about, the, because one of them, and I think it was Pest, saw where one of them landed and the fact that one of them landed close by, that they were going to all go after the one that they believed was close by. And so they began to go to the block where they think that this thing landed. And it's so funny because the one with the dog, and I think it was Biggs that had the dog, somehow or another hopped on a pizza delivery scooter. And I'm like, where in the heck did you get the pizza delivery scooter? But then again, I'm like, well, they're teenagers and they're out to up to no good. It's quite possible that they stole, that this kid stole the pizza delivery truck so that they could put, or not truck, but um, the pizza delivery um, vehicle so that they could put uh, their dog in the back of it and transport him. So anyway, so he's on it and Moses has his bike. Actually, all of them have their bike except for, I believe it's, I believe it's Dennis who doesn't have a bike or maybe it's Pest that doesn't have a bike. And anyway, one of them hops on the back of Moses's bike um, and they try to skirt over to where they think that this one alien crash landed at. And so they're on their way there and um, they find one. They find one, but the police find them too. Now, remember I said that Sam was in the police van with the police looking for these boys. Um, and so they, the, they, the police find the boys and they begin to scatter to try to run away from um, the police, except duh, they get Moses. Of course they get Moses. And here's what you need to know. Again, another reminder that teenagers are smart. They have the, the knowledge. They can, they can absorb a lot of knowledge, but they don't have a lot of common sense in many times to apply their knowledge in the right way. And so Moses... After having gone to Hi-Hat and Hi-Hat is now giving him drugs to sell on the street to make some money. I mean, class one drugs, schedule one drugs, right? Um, so he, not only does he have that on him, but he also has a switchblade, which I didn't mention this, but he had a switchblade in the beginning when they were robbing Sam. So he has a switchblade on him and he also has other things on him, like nun not nunchucks, but, oh, pause, um, sorry. Sam got, the thing that Sam got um, was a daggone samurai sword. I'm like, baby, where'd you get a samurai? Not, not France. Now, uh, Dennis, Dennis got a daggone samurai sword. But anyway, um, the point is that Moses is hemmed up by the police and he's got a switchblade with him. He's got drugs on him. He's got another weapon on him too. And so of course he's going down for this, right? So they lock him up. And while they're locking him up, he said, like while they're restraining him, he, he said, you better hurry up and put me in there because he's looking the thing in the face, the, the alien that they tracked, they actually did, they were right. And they, they tracked this alien to the right location and it was out there to get him. And so they throw him in the back. These two police officers throw him in the back of the police van. But while the minute that they close the police van, the alien instantly attacks the police officer 
that threw him in the back of the, that threw Moses in the back of the van, like attacks him and kills him. Then the other police officer walks around toward the back of the vehicle and then he gets attacked and his blood is splashed everywhere. And then what we know is that Sam is in the back of the van as well. Like, but I guess she's in the part, a part of the van that is not connected to the bad, where the bad guys go, I guess. Um, but she's nevertheless concealed in the van and then she's scared and all of that stuff. And, and there's a, she's sitting in a, in a way that she can see Moses because apparently even through the protective, there's a barrier between them, but it's got window panes in it. And I guess the window panes are kind of thick and, and protective glass. So you can't shatterproof glass. So, you know, unless you exert, exert a lot of pressure, you're not going to be able to bust through those glasses. And so you have her, um, in the back looking at him in the van and they're like freaking out. Excuse me. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you've got the rest of their crew hiding on the steps talking about, oh, well, we got to go save Moses. And so they begin to light off fireworks um, to distract the aliens so that they can go get Moses. And anyway, so they go around and they do that and they get away from the alien and they steal the van. Unfortunately... Uh, Sam is still in the van and she's super scared. And when they're in the van, she somehow they let Moses out, but she ends up putting herself where Moses was so that she can quote unquote be safe uh, uh, from these scary teenagers. She's very careful to say scary teenagers. And I think that's interesting because all but one of those scary teenagers were uh, black kids or uh, they were all, yeah, they were all black kids. Um, I just think, except for the one, the one kid, the one white kid. And I just think it's funny that she called them teenagers. And again, that was their attempt to be PC. Um, nevertheless, they still had scary brown teenagers who were running amok in, in the projects. And this poor white woman. That's the trope that I hate. I hate that trope so much. But it's 2011 and studios didn't care. And they still kind of don't care. But I just don't see a, a trope like that happening and flying in the in this climate today anyway so but they're driving away from the alien and of course the alien is chasing them they're now in a police van right they're in a police van trying to run away from this alien and go to safety and anyway somehow or another they end up in a car park and in racing down the road in the car park they end up running smack dab into literally into high hats mercedes i guess i guess he has a mercedes anyway they crash right into it with the police van um and high hat instantly recognizes that the van is a police van and so he begins he freaks out and then he backs up to try to get away and then his sidekick which i think is beats um recognizes that that there are kids in that van and so high hat immediately stops and pulls out his gun and he's about to go after these kids come to find out he recognizes that the kids are Moses and the rest of the crew and he orders them all out and all of that stuff and you know basically there's this altercation between them and uh hi-hat does not believe the story that Moses is telling Moses is now saying that um that, you know, that giving them the alien story. Like, remember that thing that we showed you that that's still currently hanging up 
in your um, hothouse, or at least the, the bathroom of your hothouse. Um, yeah, there are more of them, only they don't look like that thing. They look different. Um, and they're black and they have glowing green, neon green teeth and all of that stuff. And so uh, Hi-Hat's not having it. Hi-Hat is mad because they crashed into his car and ruined it. And he wants some, he wants some answers and you better not say any other thing. I don't want to hear nothing else about aliens because I don't believe you. And right now you need to, you need to tell me what the heck is really going on because my car is crashed and I need some answers. And so meanwhile, back at the ranch, of course, the alien that was chasing them now comes back, um, now comes back into the picture only now he's hiding behind, uh, Hi-Hat's car. And so Hi-Hat, uh, hears the sound that this alien makes, which is essentially a screeching sound, really high pitched, loud screeching sound. And of course, you know what sounds, any type of hollering in a car park is going to be super loud, right? And echoey because, uh, you know, car parks are echoey. So anyway, so Hi-Hat hears the sound, hears something scurrying behind his car and immediately orders his sidekick, which I believe is Beats, to go over and check to see what's happening. And at first Beats is like, no, I'm not going. But then Hi-Hat puts the gun on him and said, yeah, you are going to go and see what's going on. So uh, Beats goes over to see what's happening. Meanwhile, Hi-Hat puts the gun back on um, Moses, because again, he's like, you, 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 I don't believe you. Y'all lying to me and my car is ruined and I need my get back. What's, what's happening? So anyway, while Hi-Hat is trying to intimidate the mess out of, um, out of Moses. And actually I think he's about to pull the trigger on him. Um, the alien attacks beats and, just eats him basically eats. Yeah. Eats him anyway. So, and it's at this point where the boys decide that this is the opportunity for me to break free and get out of here. So that's exactly what he does. And while he's, tr- they're trying to break free and run away from the police van and a uh, hi hat, hi hat shoots him. And so they get away and then they try to reconvene. They try to, to get away. And Oh, also the, the, the white woman is gone too. But again, what we know is that the white woman has gone back to her house. So anyway, the boys are running too. And obviously they run in different directions uh, than um, Sam. Um, so anyway, so they try to regroup and go back to um, the council flats. But before they do that, well, before I tell you, they're going to a particular place and it's basically these girls that they met earlier. And sidebar, because I missed, I missed um, a, a piece that at first I didn't think was important, but I understand was important. They run into these girls um, after Moses has the encounter with the alien and he kills the alien. They run into these girls. And basically in this moment, this is what definitely reminded me that these were teenagers and it was so such a pure moment because Moses is out here and all the boys are out there and they run into this group of girls and they engage in banter like they're teenagers. And they're, it's like they're, they're teenagers that are streetwise, but nevertheless, they're still teenagers. And so, you know, Moses is walking up, he's all puffed up. And these, uh, these, um, girls are like, y'all better get out of my face. Y'all ain't hard or whatever, you know? basically saying y'all ain't as tough as you think you are. You think you that bad and all of that. And so Moses is like, yeah, 
I, we, you know, we, we tough or whatever. And then the lead, clearly the leader of the girls asked Moses. So what you're telling me is you killed an alien. And Moses was like, yeah. And, and that scratch came from that alien. And Moses was like, yeah. And then she looks at him and he's like, oh, you're bad. But she stares at him a little while longer, like, ooh, you're bad and I like it. And uh, Moses is standing there and how can I describe the look on his face? He, his chest is puffed out and he has that look like he doesn't care, but you know, he totally does care. It's such a, it's, it's so classic. It's such a real moment. You know how you would act when you were a teenager. Heck, you know how you act now when you try to play something off and you try to be cool. But only when you're a teenager, you're not that cool. You're not that cool yet, so you haven't figured out how to be super cool. So at the moment, you're only mimicking being cool and what you think other people, what you've seen in other people and what you, how you think you should be responded. So anyway, so in that scene, you know, they have a moment. So Moses, the leader of the teenage boys gang, um, impresses the girl whose name I think, hold on, let me go. Let me, I think her name is Dimples. Yeah, I think her name is Dimples. Anyway, so um, he impresses Dimples. And so, so yeah, he, he impresses Dimples, but he does not impress Gloria. And anyway, Gloria's, you know, like she's number two. You can clearly tell that she's number two of the teenage girl group. Anyway, so they have that moment and then they're all on their council estate. And then the, then Moses and the crew proceed up stairs to go see Ron, who then takes him to high hat to try to sell the alien. So anyway, after they've escaped the police, um, they've cut and they, they're trying to regroup to get these aliens because clearly they need to figure out another strategy and they're going to go back to Ron's or no, they're going to go back to the, to the, to the projects. They say, well, we can't go to Ron's, but where else can we go? So they end up going to Dimple's place because Dimple's apartment has, um, it's gated basically. And so they go there. And meanwhile, um, so they go back to Dimple's apartment. And when they say gated, it's like a storm door. It's like, I have a storm door. It's basically a heavy, uh, wrought iron door that you can paint or whatever. But the point is that it's real tough to try to crack the door so that you can get into the house. And usually people have, people have the storm door that is a wrought iron. And then they have a regular door, right? That they just lock. And so anyway, so she has one of those type of setups. And when I'm saying she, I'm saying her guardians, all these kids, these are kids. So they live with adults, right? So anyway, but the adults for the most part are either uh, not home or they're not really seen in this movie. The only adults that are really have any screen time are Sam, um, Bruce and Sam, Bruce, Ron. Okay. There are a lot of adults, but not, you never see any of the parents for real. Anyway, so they go back to, they go to uh, Dimple's apartment and they recount the rest of the story, the rest of the tale. And again, um, Gloria is really not having it. And Dimples is having a hard time with it too, even though they, they believe them. It's like, I, but it's hard for me to understand what the heck is happening to you now. And while they're trying to explain stuff, Dimples gets, uh, not Dimples, but um, yeah, yeah, Dimples, excuse me, gets up and decides 
she's just gonna she just goes to the window and i don't know why she went to the window except that she did and while she's at the window she's like guys so is what you're talking about like what are these and then the boys look through the window and surprise supplies now there are two of those black aliens black furry aliens with the green glowing teeth on the window and it's at this point it's like how are they continuing to find how in the heck did they find y'all like how did they number one it's clear that they're super high up they're super high up on in the building and these aliens found them so anyway of course you know what happens the aliens crash through the window and you know they're you know begin their uh, fight ensues and unfortunately um unfortunately Dennis Dennis's head is squished and he's killed right and so they get out of Dimple's apartment and the girls run somewhere else and the boys are like nah man we gotta we gotta try to finish this we gotta try to do something about this so um it's at this point it's at this point that the boys run to somehow or another they're 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 going down and they're trying to either escape. I don't know if they were trying to escape the building or whatever. Or they were just trying to find some refuge that wasn't any of their apartments. And certainly they couldn't go to Dimples anymore. And of course, of course, they run into Sam, who was also trying to, she's just now making it back to her apartment, I guess. And I'm like, girl, you had a head start on them and you just trying to make it. Unless I'm telling that out of order. She, anyway, she runs to her apartment and of course they run into her apartment too and then she thinks that they're after them and and that's not the case and all of that stuff and come to find out of course the aliens follow them there too and so it's like now you're seeing a pattern so the aliens found the boys in dimple's apartment now the aliens find the boys in sam's apartment and you begin to wonder well are they following y'all like what is what's happening long story short they are following them. And after a few altercations with Hi-Hat, which again, Hi-Hat wants Moses dead. He wants him dead, 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 dead ski. And so anyway, so they run out of Sam's apartment and they go and they're trying to go any, somewhere else, um, anywhere else to try to get away um, from these aliens and then come to find out. That they're and they're also trying to hide in one of the safest places, and so one of the safest places on the estate is where, in Ron's hot house, right? Because there's a you know, uh, what I, I didn't say this before, but there's like a steel metal door that protects the hot house from the rest of the apartment, I guess in case of raids or whatever. Um, so anyway, so they go back to Ron's apartment, which is at the very top of the building. And anyway, so they go there and at first Ron is looking, is acting a little strange and they go in and then there's a reason why Ron is acting strange because Hi-Hat is in there. And of course he threatens, um, Moses again. And then there's this exchange and, and Moses is about to be taken out. So Hi-Hat is absolutely going to kill him because what we, what we didn't, what I didn't tell you was that, um, Hi-Hat was attacked with his entourage. He had an entourage following the altercation where his car got banged up by the boys and he, and the alien killed his one um killed beats he now runs into some other of his henchmen and they're trying to find these boys so anyway so 
they're, they go back to the, the estate because they know that the boys are probably going to be there. And so while they're going back to the estate, they run into the aliens in pursuit of the boys end up killing, uh, running into the elevator with hi-hat and his two other henchmen and they kill, you know, anyway, long story short, hi-hat has a gun. And so he kills the alien after the aliens have already attacked his henchmen. And, and now hi-hat is full of blood. He has blood all over him. So when the boys go into Ron's apartment, hi-hat is in there and he's covered with blood and he's like, I don't know anything about aliens, but I do know that all of this misfortune happened because when you started doing whatever you were doing, you killed that alien, I guess, or whatever it is. And now all of this misfortune has come upon me. So now you got to die. So anyway, he's about to kill. Um, it's it, you get the sense that he's about to kill Moses when all of a sudden all these aliens come and they kill him and they eat him and all of that stuff is really gross. Anyway, um, there's like a graphic scene where they literally you see his them eating him. Anyway, um, I guess this is supposed to be like a horror comedy. It wasn't very funny to me. Anyway, um, so the boys, anyway, the boys run into the hothouse. And long story short, they come to find out that the reason why these aliens keep following Moses specifically is because the female that he killed, the, the alien that he killed was like the female of this species and she put all of her pheromones on him. And so essentially all the little black aliens with the green teeth are now following him because they were originally following her and they explained their existence in that somehow or another they fell through a space-time rift or whatever. Um, Brewis explains that because he's he did a couple of years in uni and, and university and that's what he concluded. And I was just like, okay, well, y'all just had to throw an explanation in there. Anyway, so they, you know, come to find out that they're like, okay, well, they're following you, Moses, and all of these people have died. Jerome, in an altercation, ended up uh, dying too. Um, and, and Moses couldn't save him and, and all of that. So Moses des- decides that he's he's got to end this. They're after me, then we're going to end it. So Basically, Sam, at this point, is with her. Sam is with them. She's helping and doing the best that she can. And her role, I think, is a little weird because really she doesn't do a hell of a lot except for this last moment where she runs She she runs to what we believe is to be his apartment and come to uh, Moses' apartment, come to find out Moses lives with his uncle, but his uncle is rarely there. And so Mo- Moses sends, even though all of the aliens are now in... Um, in Ron's apartment, they only want Moses because he's covered in the female scent, the female alien scent. So they make her change into some some regular clothes. And then she carefully escapes out of there and then runs down to Moses's apartment. And then Moses instructs her via phone to turn on all the gas on the stove and make it so that, you know, it's full of gas because it will come down and we'll light these puppies up. So he so she runs and does that and then she leaves the apartment and it's clear that everybody else and their mother are outside in the apartment too and so Moses has everybody else hide out in Ron's apartment while he initially and again all these aliens are literally sitting in Ron's living room essentially so what Moses decides to do is to light a firecracker a big firecracker rocket looking thing 
to distract the aliens while he makes a break for the door. So he does this and he runs through the door and then he's essentially running down to his apartment. And so he as successfully gets out of the apartment, uh, out of Ron's apartment, runs down to his apartment and the aliens are nipping at his heels, honey. And then he runs to his apartment and he, um, I guess, oh, he has the alien. He, that's the other thing. He has the female alien on his back. And so when he gets to his apartment, he throws off the female alien. And of course, all of the male aliens run around her and they go toward her. And then he goes into the kitchen, um, just to make sure that the, uh, everything is on and it is. And then he goes to the window and he has this rocket that he's going to launch into the apartment so that it can explode. And after a little bit of suspense, he lights the rocket and it explodes and he jumps out of the window, or at least you hope he jumps out of the window. And then of course, you know, when the smoke clears, of course, he's out of the window and he's hanging onto the Union Jack because duh, that's what you do when you fall out of a, uh, when you leap out of a window during an explosion, you fall into a flag that just happens to be draped um, on the apartment below yours and you hang on to it for dear life. And then you hang for a second there and everybody's on the ground looking at you um, and spotlight is on you. And then you heroically climb as Moses did over the balcony and, and into safety. And then of course, all of the boys, they try to rush down to the, uh, down and out of the apartment. And of course they are immediately arrested and so is Moses. And and then the police uh, catch back up with Sam again and they say, oh, so we called you because you were mugged by these boys, right? And then initially she's like, yeah, but actually, no, these boys saved my life because they and, and they essentially did save her life. After they robbed her, they saved her life uh, from those aliens. And anyway, so at the end of this thing, though, um, Biggs begins to uh, really prop him up because Dennis is dead and so is Jerome, but Biggs and Pest are still alive um, with Sam. And so they, uh, Sam and what's his name? Jervis, not Jervis. I keep saying his name wrong. Anyway, uh, uh, Brewis. And so anyway, uh, and Nick Frost is there too. Um, and then of course, Dimples and Gloria, everybody's out because everybody lives in the same building. And so you know, long story short, she exonerates them from the police. And then also they begin to, uh, Biggs begins a chant for Moses. And so Moses and Pest are being locked up in the police van and um, they're chanting Moses's name. And and then Pest is like, see there, see there, um, Moses, they're chanting your name. You're a hero now. And then the last scene we see is Moses kind of smiling big and then it cuts to the end. Now there's a moment in there where, um, when, when Sam runs into to Moses's apartment with his uncle, she runs to his bedroom and she, and she's like, do you have a little brother? And he's like, nope, I don't have a little brother. And then she's like, oh, well, you're really young. And he's like, I'm 15 years old. And it's like, girl, that's another trope. All of these, these are teenagers. You knew that they were teenagers. How did you think they were? She's like, you just look older, whatever. Anyway, apart from those little pieces where it was just like, oh, a little bit tired, those tropes, it was an interesting film. I understand why some people panned it. I understand why it didn't make a ton of money in the box office, but the performance that John Boyega turned out was great. It was really great. It was entertaining. Um, it was not a good movie, but he was entertaining and it's worth your time. And 
yeah, it's worth your time. Just watch it. Watch it with a grain of salt, but watch it for his performance. It was really great. So yeah, that's that. So watch um, Attack the Block, however you can find it. I think you can rent it for a couple of dollars on uh, Amazon Prime um, or however you choose to watch it. Also, don't forget to watch um, My House of Vice Lifestyle on YouTube. Um, And yeah, if you like this episode or any uh, and you want to talk about it or whatever, leave me a message um, right in the show notes. Um, And while you're there, it's literally a link that you click in the show notes. And that way it'll take you to my page where you can leave uh, a message on um, Anchor. And while you're there, if you want to leave me a donation, you're more than welcome to do that as well. Even 99 cents will be a helpful contribution. But if that's not your thing, that's okay. Just share this episode with somebody who you think might like it or anyone else in your friend group, any other episode that you think might be of interest to them. Share that so that you can ultimately help spread the knowledge of this show and spread the reach of this thing too. Um, And also favorable ratings. You do that on all the places. I just saw something new, um, a new app called Podcast Junkie, I guess. And so there are folks who are listening to Podcast Junkie that are uh, giving me listens. So rate me favorably, if you please, five stars on, um, you know, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Play, um, Apple. Um, yeah, uh, Radio Public, all the places where you listen, re- leave me a favorable rating. I really appreciate it. All right. That's it for now. Like I said, uh, in June, I've got some good shows, I hope, uh, in store for you. So I hope you enjoy it. It's also warm now, so you're going to hear probably some uh, motorbikes, some dirt bikes um, in the background. So just lead with that. And some motorcycles, too. Just lead with that. Understand you're going to hear that, and that's okay. So it's not going to be such a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore, but hopefully one of these days, the hubby and I will have a new location, and maybe it'll be a little bit quieter. Anyway, all right. That is it for now. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.